I'm Kerry Fink, and welcome to this special edition of the Kingdom Living Podcast with Glenn Reffel. How are you today, Glenn? Hey, fantastic, Kerry. I did, uh, today I was able to teach, and it just, uh, when you're teaching the Word of God, it just lights that fire inside of you, and it just, uh, w- what a great privilege. And that that's part of the privilege we have here of just bringing the teaching. The Word of God, as you know, it does not return void. Uh, so, so it, it just, it's fantastic. We're glad to, to be doing another teaching today also. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. You know, we were just talking before we began the podcast, you know, that you have a special guest that you're going to be introducing in just a moment to the podcast. But, you know, we were just having the conversation that all of what we talk about here, we go, this is not an opinion show, right? It is, we're just, we're just taking it straight from the word of God, the Holy Bible. And, and I was thinking if you're new to this whole uh, kingdom living uh, series, you know, it's not a new thing, actually, Glenn Reppel, who is the CEO of a company called GA Reppel, and company, uh, you do a lot. You've been very successful in the financial services uh, side of things, and 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 serving so many people through that. But then you've also been a marketplace minister for years, probably all the way through, right? Because you started Repel Minute and published that continuously uh, since 2006. That morning minute of biblical inspiration, and then that kind of led into. Um, the Kingdom Living podcast, which came out of a book you wrote called Fraud, What God Has to Say About the Tactics of the Enemy. And the audience for this keeps growing uh, globally and is so exciting to see the feedback and the interaction and the engagement because people are finding it, as you know, Glenn, they're finding it on the Facebook page by liking that uh, the Repl Minute page and sharing that with their friends, or they're subscribing uh, to the REPL Minute on the YouTube. And recently now, uh, it's available everywhere that people get podcasts, whether it be Apple, iTunes, or uh, Amazon Podcasts and Alexa, or, or Spotify, or any of those tools. Just look for the REPL Minute, and it'll lead you right into all of the uh, great teachings and, and resources. And before we get started, Glenn, I also want to remind folks about the REPL Minute com. That is a great hub of information about uh, everything connected to the to the REPL Minute. You can get copies of all the preceding. There's been some amazing Kingdom Living podcasts recently, uh, things like Do You Believe, The Power of Now Faith, um, Divine Nature Now. All these things are geared to help you uh, as you explore everything on the kingdom living side of things. And Glenn, you can also go there and sign up to have the REPL Minute delivered into your email box. Great way to start each and every workday uh, with just a positive uh, kingdom living outlook kind of message. And not only that, you can also access and learn more about the whole fraud series, which by itself is a great Bible study. But as we get into today's message, Glenn, I wanted to say the most recent kingdom living episode was called Anointed Sons and Daughters, which is kind of an interesting thing because of what we're going to talk about today. I am so excited, Glenn. Let's just get get right to it. Absolutely. And understand, as this community, our ecclesia, people are hungry for the Word of God. They want the truth uh, being uh, talked to. The Word of God is alive and it's active, and it's not going to return void. And so we have a special guest 
today that is a, a dear friend. Uh, I love her dearly, and she's uh, she's taught uh, this teaching, uh, Cheryl Cope, on uh, on the Bride of Christ. When I heard this, she is such a great and gifted teacher. Uh, we're, this is such a privilege we have. And I said, we got to get this out there, uh, this teaching. So, uh, Cheryl, what a privilege it is to have you here uh, on our podcast today uh, to bring the bride of Christ this teaching. Uh, so thank you for being here, Cheryl. Thank you, Glenn, so much. And Carrie, I am considering it an honor and a privilege to be here today to share this teaching with you. It's exciting to know that we are the bride of Christ. So what we're going to do today is we're going to, I'm going to walk you through all of the ancient Jewish wedding customs and traditions that were practiced by the Jews in the days in which Jesus walked the face of this earth. Some are actually still followed today. Now, you may say, well, they're pretty specific as you're going to hear them. Why? Because God wanted to show the intimate relationship that he desired to have with his people. He wanted to show us the Father. So I'm sharing them with you today because I believe that God wants you to hear how much he loves you. Now, Jews were raised with his customs, and the Gentiles were aware of these customs, See, Jews are covenant people because our God is a covenant God, and their identity was based on a covenant relationship with God. Now, there are some covenants that we're very familiar with. First of all, remember the covenant with Abraham. God promised him a son, and he promised him land. What about Noah? We're all familiar with that one because when it rains, many times we'll see that rainbow. That was the covenant that God made with Noah that the earth would not be destroyed by water again. Then do you realize that the 10 commandments, the 10 words written in stone were actually a covenant with Moses and the Jewish nation. So at Mount Sinai, that's where the 10 commandments were given. That says to me that a wedding took place. God took Israel as his bride, and aren't we so thankful that we are grafted in today? Now, the day in which we live, we make contracts, contracts, but a covenant is something completely different. Now, let me read to you the definition of a covenant. A covenant is defined as a binding commitment between two parties. A total, a pledge of total loyalty, more sacred than life itself, a permanent identification with another person, pledging to put their needs above your own, and literally giving your life to your covenant partner, a partnership punishable by death if broken. Oh, we break contracts, but a covenant is not to be broken. Now, there's no greater example of covenant than these biblical wedding customs that were established by God himself. So let's take a look at them. Back in Jesus' day, parents were given the responsibility of directing their children's lives, especially in picking their mate. The father decided who and when their children would marry. Now, this is still true in some cultures today, and I have to tell you, their success rate is much greater than ours. So when a girl was young, she would wear her hair down and flowing, 
But once she started her monthly cycle, she would pull her hair back and she would tie it either with a ribbon or a piece of leather or cloth. This was her unspoken sign to her father that she had become a woman. So now we're looking at a girl ages 13, 14. So the father begins to look for a husband for his daughter. Oh, he wanted the perfect mate for her. Now, in those days, girls did not attend public school. They stayed home and they learned skills from their mother. But boys, on the other hand, went to formal school from ages 6 to 12. The school was the synagogue. The teacher was the rabbi and the textbook was the Torah. They learned to read, write, and speak Hebrew because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. They memorized the entire Torah. Aramaic was the common language that was spoken at home. Now they've graduated at age 12. At age 12, a test is given. What's the test? To quote the entire Torah. Now, let me explain that the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Obviously, Jesus passed the test because in Luke 2, 41 to 52, where do we find him? We find him in the synagogue, and it says that he is astounding the people that are listening to him. Now, when you graduated at age 12, you learned your father's trade. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter, and Jesus learned that trade. Now, when he becomes a groom, the boy is going to have to go and build a sleeping room on to his father's house for his bride. Many times, as, as many as four generations would live under the same roof. Now, the boy's about 18, early 20s. But children had absolute trust in their father's selection of their mate. They trusted him to know exactly what they needed. One day, the father would come home and say to his daughter, I have found the perfect mate for you. Now, my response would have been, do I know him? What's his name? Is he cute? What does he do? Guess what her only question is? When is the betrothal meal? When is the betrothal meal? She asked this because she and her mother would prepare this meal at their home. When the groom would come and eat this meal with her, they are now legally married. So the date's established for the two fathers. And the father of the boy would announce, son, I've noticed how responsible you've become. And I have found a wife for you. Unlike you gentlemen's questions would be, his question is this, what is the bride price? See, the groom's family had to pay the bride's family for the privilege of taking her into their home. So the price is negotiated by the two fathers, but it is established by the girl's father. It's an indication of her worth. It honors her and it shows her how much her father loves her. It's also going to compensate him because remember, she's now going to live in the groom's house and do chores. They're no longer doing chores in her father's house. But it would require sacrificial commitment by their groom's family. It would prove that they cherish her and the bride price could be anything. Now, if they're a farmer of shepherds, the father might say, hey, she's a 60 goat girl. If he's a farmer, maybe bags of seed were required. But sometimes the father would love his daughter so much, 
he would require silver. Now, people had very little money in those days. There was a barter system. So if silver were required, the family would have to sell something. And many times the only thing they had to sell was the family Torah. A Torah in those days usually cost an entire year's wages. And Jewish law stated that a Torah could only be sold to pay a bride price. Now, you would say, well, is the bride anxious? Is she concerned about her father's choice? And this was her reply. No one knows me better or loves me more than my father. He will select the perfect mate for me. So it's the day of that betrothal meal. The groom goes to the bride's house and he takes five things with him. The bride price. Can you see him dragging those goats or those sheep or, or carrying those bags of grain? And then he would take a plain gold ring. Also, he took white cloth. This is so the bride could make her wedding dress. And he would take wine. Also, one, the fifth thing was the marriage contract. It's called a ketubah. This is the promise of what the groom is going to do for the bride. Now, when he knocks on that door and she opens the door, she has a choice. She can either accept or reject him. The choice is actually hers. Now, this is the only Eastern culture that allow this because in other Eastern cultures, if she rejects her father's choice, she's thrown out into the street. But this goes back to Genesis 24 when Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. The servant asked, what would I do if the girl won't come with me? And Abraham's reply was simply release her. So that's where this custom comes from. Now, the groom doesn't know who's going to open that door. Can you imagine how nervous he is when he knocks? When she sees the groom, she has a decision to make. If he opens the door, she is saying, I accept you as my husband. And they share that betrothal meal. Now, he's going to pour the wine that he's brought into one cup. And they both are going to drink from this same cup. This is called the blood covenant vow. They're now legally married, although it's not been consummated. I, I want you to realize this, that the fruit of the vine is a two-pronged symbol. Joy. I'm drinking the joy of this union. But it's also judgment. I'm drinking judgment if I'm unfaithful. Now it's going to take a divorce. Remember when in, in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, that's Matthew's account of Mary and Joseph. I never quite understood why it said that when, when he finds out Mary's pregnant, he's going to quietly put her away because they've already enjoyed the betrothal meal and now it's going to take a divorce. But fortunately, the angel appears to Joseph and says, oh, yes, Mary has conceived, been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, the bride has prepared bread, and she is going to tear a piece, excuse me, he's going to tear a piece first, and he's going to feed it to the bride. See, bread is a symbol of God's presence, and when he tears that piece of bread and feeds it to her, he makes this statement, I will be life to you. He's promising her three things. He's going to provide for her physical needs for shelter, food, and clothes. 
He's going to protect her from any enemy. And he's going to be intimate with her. See, sons were very important in those days. They were actually man's greatest possessions. You know, the firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance because if the father dies first, the mother becomes the firstborn son's responsibility. You know, in John 19, 25 to 27, when Jesus is giving his life for us on the cross, his mother and John, the disciple whom he loved, are there. And what does he say to them from the cross? He says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. So he is turning over his responsibility as the firstborn to John. Now the bride takes a piece of bread and she feeds the groom. And she's saying, I will be life to you. I will care for the home and I will provide my, room, my womb. The groom now signs this ketubah and it becomes the possession of the bride. And that ring, that plain gold ring, is worn on the forefinger of the right hand. This is the clean working hand. It's her acceptance of this binding transaction. And the groom says this, and they, they still use this today in their marriage ceremony. By this ring, you are consecrated to me as my wife in accordance of the law of Moses and Israel. Now, at this point, she's going to take a piece of cloth or a scarf, and she's going to cover her hair. And this shows that she is married and only her husband will see her hair. Then they do a covenant of salt. Salt represents purity and loyalty. You see, salt was very valuable in those days. Do you know that Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt? You've heard the old saying, is he worth his salt? That's where that comes from. So the salt was in a very small container. And they would pour some in their hands and they would throw it up in the air and the wind would blow it. And they would say until every grain of salt is collected and put back in this container, this covenant stands. Salt stands for purity and loyalty. Then two witnesses, and they're hoping that the town rabbi can be there. They sign this kentuba. This becomes the possession of the bride. Remember, this is what the groom has promised the bride. The bride then gives the groom something of hers, so he's going to remember her. Now, it's not necessarily something valuable or expensive, but this is called a Kenyan. She gives it to the two witnesses, who in turn give it to the groom, and the groom holds it up symbolic. He will keep the promises of the ketubah. Then the shofar is blown, and this is called the first trumpet. Now, the groom leaves to return to his father's home alone, and the bride remains in her home. Remember, he has to go back and build a sleeping room onto the family home. Yet he still has those daily chores and responsibilities. Remember, he's learning his father's trade. So this could take a year, 18 months, two years, because the father says, son, you can't just throw up something. Our family honors at stake. So only the groom's father can decide when that room is ready. Oh, the waiting process is hard on both of them because they rarely see each other. So once in a while, he'll send his best friend to encourage the bride. Oh, he's working hard and tells her of the beauty of the room. In the meantime, the bride's working with that material, making her wedding dress. And finally, one day, 
the groom's best friend comes and says, you know what? The room is almost ready. You better make your final preparations. So she finishes that all important dress. She goes to the mikvah and she has a ceremonial bath. This is symbolic of dying to old life and being cleansed to new life. Now, neither one of them know the exact day, but they've been made aware it's going to be soon. Now, they want to get married on a Tuesday. They're hoping to get married on a Tuesday. Well, that's the third day of the week. I have performed weddings. I've been to more weddings than you get. I've never been to a wedding on Tuesday. But the reason is because at creation, God said good two times on the third day. So to the Jews, it was a twice good day. Now, the groom always would come in the middle of the night to steal his bride away from her father's house. So on Mondays, hoping it was going to be on Tuesday, they would fast because, oh, they wanted that meal to be so good and special together. Now, the bride would move into the Cataluma. That was the guest room on her house with her bridesmaids. And she was allowed to put an oil lamp in the window so that the groom would know she was ready and waiting and only brides were allowed to do this. The groom knows the time is soon for him to go get his bride because he smells his mom cooking all this food because there's going to be a party at his house for seven days. The, bride, the groom's father examines the room and finally says, son, it is finished go get your bride. Oh, but first you might want to take a bath. So the groom calls his friends, tonight's the night, and they go with him. And when they reach the edge of the town, they blow the shafar. And this is called the last trump because it's one of the last sounds the bride will hear before being taken into her husband's home. She listens for the shofar and for him to call her name. And when she does, she puts on that wedding dress. Now, the father of the groom has told the father of the bride, tonight's the night. That Cataluma has an outside door, and the groom uses it to steal his bride away. The groom's friends put the bride and groom on chairs, and they carry them to the bridegroom's house. If you've been to a Jewish reception, you've seen them do this. Oh, they're singing, and there's joy. And in the Hebrew, the, Bible, the bride is called Kayla. It means perfect one. Because you see that bride in the groom's eyes is perfect. Now, when they arrive at the groom's house, they go into that sleeping room. They have a meal. The marriage is consummated. And the festivities begin. The bride and groom are going to spend seven days alone in that sleeping room while everybody else is outside having a party. Because remember, they don't know each other. Where was Jesus' first miracle? Oh, it was at a wedding wasn't it? Now, the last day, the groom comes out to tell all the guests the wonderful virtues of his bride, and they're called bride and groom for a year, and if war breaks out, the groom is not required to go because he has one year to get her with child, and they're really hoping for a son. Now, all that sounds really interesting, does it? But how does that relate to us? You see, because we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is our heavenly groomsman. Now, I know that men have a little bit of an issue with being called a bride. But in Galatians 3.28, the Bible says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. So, gentlemen, I have to tell you, you are the bride of Christ. Now, we understand 
that Jesus was a Jewish man and he kept Jewish traditions. He went to school from ages six to 12. He learned his father's trade. Interesting, if you chose a different trade or occupation than your father's trade, you had to give your family the first 30 years of your life. How old was Jesus when he started his public ministry? According to Luke 3.23, he was 33 years old. Jesus was a good Jewish son. Our heavenly father chose us to be the bride of his only son. Galatians 4.4 says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. In other words, the father chose the time and sent his son to the bride's house. Our heavenly father is the one who set the bride price and it was very high because of our worth. First Corinthians 620 says, you were bought with a price. Glenn, you love the passion version. And it says it this way, you were God's expensive purchase. Jesus' very lifeblood was the high bride price. Hebrews 9, 12 says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Oh, there's more. Silver was required, 30 pieces to be exact. The Torah, the word was sold. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14 continues and says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you thankful for that today? I love one version says, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Judas sold the word for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew says that. So you can never doubt your worth to your heavenly father. He chose the highest bride price possible. So Christ leaves his father's house. He comes to earth according to John 1:14, and he stands at our heart's door and he knocks. Revelation 3:20 says, "Here I am." I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to this. I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like a betrothal meal to me. He's knocking to enter into covenant relationship. And we make the choice to accept or reject. In the upper room at the last supper with the disciples, Jesus takes bread. He breaks it and he gives it to the disciples. And in essence, he's saying, I will be life to you. Then he took the cup. This is my blood of the covenant. Earlier in the garden, he drank the cup of judgment so that you and I can enjoy the cup of joy. Many times when I teach this live, we'll take communion at the end. So the next time you have the privilege of taking communion, I want you to remember, Jesus drank the cup of judgment so we could drink the cup of joy. We deserve that judgment, but he willingly took that 
on himself for us because he loves us so much and we drink the cup of joy. Now, what, what is our ketubah? Well, my Bible's in a cover, so I hope you can see, but our ketubah is the word of God. It's the Bible. What does it promise us? Remember, the ketubah promised physical needs would be taken care of, food, clothes, shelter. Well, listen to Matthew 6, 25 to 32. He promises to supply our physical needs. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field that grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon and all of his Splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will he not clothe you, O ye of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father knows that you have needed them. Well, what was the second promise in the ketubah? It was protection from enemy. Well, listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. The third promise was fruitfulness. Romans 7, 4 says, so my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might bear fruit to God. It's spiritual fruit. What kind of fruit? Oh, according to Galatians 5, 22, it's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's a difference between spiritual fruit and religious activity. Fruit brings glory to God. Religious activity brings glory to me. And no one can take credit for spiritual fruit. The glory goes to God alone. What about that ring? That ring. Well, According to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we have been sealed, this was a seal, by the Holy Spirit, set apart for our heavenly bridegroom. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And, and what about that cloth that was provided by the groom? Oh, I love this. Revelation 19, 7 and 8 says, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, clean and bright was given to her to wear. Now, what is fine linen? It is the righteous act of the saints. One version reads like this. His bride made herself ready. She's clothed in fine linen, bright and clean, cloth paid for by the groom, the dress created and sewn by the bride. So might I suggest to you that we are weaving this garment, even as we speak, by our acts of righteousness? When we get to heaven, God isn't going to say, uh, well said, well, well thought, or even well planned. There's only one measuring stick. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, 
what about that Kenyan, that, that little keepsake that, that belongs to the bride and is given to the groom? He's going to take it back with him to remind him of her during this time of separation. What did we give Jesus to take back to his father's house so he could remember us? Hmm. The nail prints in his hands and feet. The nail prints in his hands and feet. The print of the spear in his side. The only man-made thing in heaven. In John 20, 27, when Thomas, and unfortunately we still call him Doubting Thomas, what did Jesus say? He explained that he still had the prints in his hands, his feet, and his side. Oh, you see, the world, the word tells me he holds me in the very palm of those hands. So he went away to prepare a place for us. That's what he tells us in John 14, 3. But he goes on to tell us that he's coming back to get us and take us to live with him forever in his father's house. In that room, he's built for us. Oh, we better be ready because one day the father will say, son, go get your bride. That last trump will sound and we will be lifted up. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Friend, you better have that wedding dress ready. Well, you might ask, how do you become the bride of Christ? You simply open the door of your heart accept and invite him in and at salvation jesus becomes our covenant partner we are the bride of christ cheryl very very good uh, just really appreciate that i am the bride of christ and we've had so many uh, in our book fraud i am there's like four pages in the back of it and this is one we did not put in there is i am the bride of christ and that covenant relationship uh, is a permanent uh, relationship that he makes with his children, with his bride. Uh, Cheryl, thank thank you so much. This uh, this was a great teaching, and so so pleased that you could bring that to us. Uh, and uh, thank thank you so much. You're welcome. Wow, you know uh, that was really an amazing journey. Uh, if you think about it, as uh, as Cheryl Cope tied together, Glenn, uh, everything from Old Testament to New Testament, and it really is a great explanation of why uh, those that those two aspects are so relevant. Even though we live under uh, Kingdom Living and the New Testament, we have to understand uh, the background and all of that. So I thought this was a particularly uh, amazing teaching, and Glenn, it really reminds me actually of several of the things. Um, you know, in your own book, Fraud, What God Has to Say About the Tactics of the Enemy. This is such an important uh, uh, part of all this. Uh, and I was thinking as, as, as Cheryl was doing the presentation, you have a whole section here in the back called uh, Who I Am in Christ. And it's, it's page after page of affirmations. Uh, and, and I was thinking a lot of this really fits right with that. And, and, then, and then another thing that occurred to me as we were talking our way through all of this was the fact that um, the effort to uh, explain and provide this insight uh, into the journey of the Bride of Christ, and, and so we get that revelation and that understanding, I noticed that you've talked so many times, uh, we talk about this thing called the Believer's 
Declaration of Legal Rights. And it really is just reaffirming who we are in Christ. And we've offered that many times. In fact, we'll put the, uh, we'll put the uh, a link on the screen. Um, if you're new to the Kingdom Living series, uh, I want to encourage you to really go back and appropriate a lot of this material. Uh, take a look at this Believer's Declaration of Rights, maybe uh, download it. It's a free PDF. You can print it out, stick it next to your desk, next to your place of worship. And it's just things that are biblical affirmations of who we are in Christ. And we all like to quote, you know, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Well, this is a real practical uh, reminder of that. And so, Glenn, as we're going through this, uh, that's, I think, what, what Cheryl has been sharing is really what this is all about. Amen. And, and, and it is, uh, is that we're declaring that we're married to Jesus and Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so just to know that that is that marriage covenant uh, with God, the father, God, the son and the Holy spirit. And it takes the revelation uh knowledge of the word of god and so what cheryl's done so well too is to take uh, the torah all, all the way up to reveal the bride the, the bride of christ in us so and again the whole from genesis revelation is revealing jesus christ and this this is such a great uh teaching to just have this and to know this uh and and uh, th this has been fantastic we appreciate you cheryl yeah, Glenn, I, I, you said it exactly right. You know, and I was thinking again, um, I, I'm going to ask if you'll pray for everybody within the sound of this message here in just a moment. But again, viewer, if you're new to the Kingdom Living series with Glenn Reppel, um, I really want to encourage you to take advantage of all the resources that are here online for you, uh, whether you're listening to this as a podcast or you're viewing this on a YouTube or maybe uh, directly on the repelminute.com website, or maybe you're on Facebook Watch. However, you're accessing this information, want to remind you that the entire library of Kingdom Living podcasts is available to you absolutely uh, at no charge. And it's, there's some great, great teachings in there that you will want to avail yourself of that will help you understand who God called you to be. And not only that, uh, it's a great place you can pick up, as we talked about before, you can get your copy of Fraud, uh, Glenn's book, What God Has to Say About the Tactics of the Enemy. It's a great, very simple, it's not an intimidating book, it's literally just 40 small bite-sized chapters, makes a great uh, small group study, or maybe it's just something you want to uh, read, uh, take your Bible out and keep a journal. And as Glenn often says, you know, when you're done with the book, uh, uh, pass it along to somebody so uh, that the uh, kingdom living uh, part of this and the revelation of it keeps keeps moving along. And as we've often said, there's really no opinion in here whatsoever. It is all based on Holy Bible. The other thing that you can get at therepelminute.com is you can ascribe to, the, for absolutely free, the Daily Repel Minute. It's a uh, morning minute of inspiration that Glenn has been publishing, biblical motivation, uh, continuously since 2006, and want to encourage you to get a hold of that. Uh, but with that, Glenn, let's, uh, let's pray for everybody within the sound of our voice that this message really, really takes root in Jesus' name. Yeah, th th thank you all for, for watching and listening. Cheryl, thank you for this. this uh, I'm going to use the word, the valuable 
price that Christ paid. So, Father, we come to you uh, in the name of Jesus. And we, uh, we're just so thankful that we are your bride. Oh, wow. What, what a great thing. And uh, Just to imagine an image. And, and you paid that price for us. We are valuable in the Father's eyes. And, and Father, for us to just understand how much you love us, you accept us, and you've redeemed us. You've bought us with that price. Your precious blood was paid for us. And Father, we, ju we just thank you uh, for all you've done for us. And Father, we just, we love you. We walk in that love covenant relationship that you have for us, that the bridegroom has for the bride. And Father, we just receive this teaching today as, as and we just cry out, Father, Father, as, as Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. May your word just come into us. May that seed be planted and, and that, that seed just grow and nourish us because your word is life. And Father, we just, we just thank you. We thank you. And we just praise your name. And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> thank you, Glenn. And thank you, Cheryl Cope, for sharing on today. What an exciting an informative and revelational edition of Kingdom Living Podcast this has been. So again, we invite you to like and share uh, this message. If this has impacted you, we, we want to hear from you. Give us, a, give us a shout on the Facebook or on the YouTube or on, uh, on email at uh, info at therepleminute.com. And until next time, on behalf of Glenn and uh, the entire Kingdom Living team, we'll see you here soon. God bless you.